Welcome to the Neo Edge. I'm your host, Brooke Hart. Here's where we talk about everything with innovation, emerging technologies, and the concepts that are shaping our future. Welcome everybody to the Neo Edge, where we talk about everything cutting and revolutionary. Today, we're talking with Val Solomaki and Ethan Castro, founders of the Edge Sound Research and pioneers in the future of sound. Inspired by Ethan's background as a hard of hearing audio engineer, their ReasonX technology introduces users to embodied audio, which combines the auditory and tactile frequencies given off by sound so they can feel the audio. To learn more, visit edgesoundresearch.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Very thanks. Very thanks. Thank you. Thank you. So give us a little bit of background on edge sound research and how everything started. I think that, uh, that, that might be the best to start with you, Ethan. Uh, let's, let's start, uh, let's start at your childhood. Welcome listeners. Let me take you through a small journey here to describe. It could be uh, uneventful kind of times, but also I guess, uh, it ended up being very eventful. So you can't tell from now because I'm actually like six, two and like a giant right now. Uh, but I was a, a premature baby <laughs> and I was super tiny. I was so premature that I had all these kind of issues. Uh, you know, my, you know, I, I could never run long distance cause I had issues with my lungs. And then, uh, my, my ear, uh, what's it called? The whole drainage system or whatever. My ears were, were kind of messed up. So anyway, like kind of growing up, I was so sick and, and they had to keep uh, cutting my ear open so that way they could drain all the stuff out. You know, a lot, a lot of kids have that uh, kind of problem. But um, since my uh, structures weren't fully developed, it kept happening and kept happening. So my ears just full of scar tissue. And so then as I kind of got older, my doctor's like, hey, as long as you don't go into music, you should be fine, right? Do math or something. And I was like, cool. So music? <laughs> and I went straight to music. I, for some reason, it just, it, it always resonated with me. Haha. <laughs> And that, that, that resonating part of it, I didn't realize was actually a key important factor of what eventually then became what was the kind of core of the company. The vibration that I felt from speakers. My dad was like a big aficionado of 80s kind of like dance music, which is cool. It's why I like electronic uh, as well. Uh, so my main production style. But he uh, he had these nice sound systems that he was always, you know, kind of like a sound uh, sound nerd of sorts. I remember being when he was playing stuff and he was, you know, playing the Madonna and stuff. I was like, oh man, this I can feel that. Like I, I, I feel feel it, you know. I remember I want. I, then I started seeking more music that would be able to perform that way, and it was a lot of dance music and some hip hop, but mostly dance music, just so I can feel the really tight, you know, hits of the of the kicks and stuff like that. And I, I would I would kind of be like hugging the subwoofer just so I could feel it, and I would lay down on the floor with the subwoofer, kind of like uh, shooting over my body so I could I could feel it, and that was the way I, I really kind of felt like you know the first time I felt like lost in music and stuff and. Um, I kind of remember that feeling. I still wasn't kind of going on the music path, as I was told, being a good boy and all. Uh, but then that quickly changed when I went to high school. And then, you know, there's a, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I played a little drums because that was the one thing I could hear and feel kind of well. And so I was like, hey, you know, they're they're looking for a drummer. I was like, yeah, I played some drums. And so I played for my school band and stuff like that. And then that kind of launched me into doing all sorts of percussion stuff uh, just because they needed help and I could hit some things. And then I, I started realizing that in the orchestra and in band, I could actually tune the timpani with my fingers. Uh, which you're which you're kind of supposed to right you're supposed to you know tap it and then you hear it and then you hear the whatever just lightly touch it to the way i was lightly touching the speakers of my dad and i was able to tune right to the right pitch without even like hearing it 
that's kind of that's kind of cool in the middle of the of the what's it called of the piece everything was going it was really loud instead of being able to go down and hear because I, I couldn't really hear it anyway um, I was able to you know find the right frequency find the right resonance pattern uh, just from the sense of touch and I was like oh that's kind of cool so uh, actually funny story I don't think even Val knows this but um, somebody one of the other students who was a, a composer actually made a piece of timpani for timpani like with, with an orchestra piece that had this timpani solo which if, if you if you know anything about classical music and orchestral music no one writes a timpani solo because it's like four notes and you can't do much with four notes but because i could tune like on the fly he had me change the notes on the fly and be able to kind of go back and forth and then i had to like spin around and stuff like that so it was very like flashy um but it was it was kind of a unique thing because of my unique ability to be able to tune on the fly yeah so that was like the first time i was like hey there's actual advantage you know musically for this so um you know my, my parents and i were like hey you know maybe there is something to this music stuff and you do have this kind of relationship with it so you know, maybe, you know, I wanted to go be a producer and a, and a music engineer. Parents like, no, go to college. Uh, so I could keep producing and keep exploring uh, the relationship with sound. And I was always kind of interested in sound, but, you know, I had to do my music courses and stuff. So I wrote music. I did all that stuff through undergrad. Uh, I graduated. Then I uh, had the opportunity to go down to L.A. at the end of my undergrad to do work with Disney and do uh, some other kind of crazy projects down here with producers and engineers over here uh, because I was, I was able to kind of mix drums and, and bass pretty well. Uh, and so they're like, hey, we, we could use that down here. And so I came down uh, kind of right before I graduated, <clears throat> had a lot of work. Uh, and then that's where I realized, okay, I need to move down to LA. And then my parents like, cool, but you can only go if you're doing school. <laughs> So I went and I uh, there was a program here at CSU Northridge that was called the Music Industry Administration Program, and uh, that's where I started learning about uh, you know all the music industry and, and how you know the technology and stuff could apply to it. Uh, and then we started a little a little production house over here where our main kind of forte was drums and bass and vocals. Um, and these were things that we had kind of this weird competitive advantage. Uh, the, the two other uh, people with me and, and they were teaching me how to kind of do stuff and I was teaching them how to do kind of approaching different things. And uh, and, and we actually ran a pretty well, somewhat known um, you know, editing, mixing production house here. Then it then turned into a songwriting house because uh, people then loved our vocals and then the Warner Music then used us as a, as a songwriting and pitching house. That way we'd, we'd get all the artists um, that would be a songwriter. Uh, we'd get a bunch of you know international producers to come in and be able to uh, you know, combine them together and they really liked the way vocals sounded, which is weird, you know, for a deaf guy. You wouldn't think that, you know, that the vocals necessarily sound as good. Not deaf, hard of hearing. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it was kind of weird that that was kind of like a main go-to thing. But in, in, the, in the middle of all of that, I then found this program at UC Riverside, uh, which was uh, for digital composition technically. Uh, but at the same time, there was an advanced studio over there that studied acoustics. And I said, that's a very unique uh, program <laughs> right here in kind of the central uh, Southern California. Um, and so I you know, had to check it out. I had to apply. My wife kind of, my then girlfriend, now wife, kind of dared me. I said, I, I, bet, I bet you won't even apply. I was like, watch me. She's like, I bet you won't even get in. And I was like, yeah, maybe not. And then they accepted me with a fellowship and a full ride for like three years. I was like, uh. Okay, I, if this is not a sign, I don't know what is. So you know, I went there and and I kind of had to leave the the um, you know recording industry for a little bit. Um, but you know, I, I kind of brought some of that to UCR and and but fortunately enough, they allowed me to research this kind of concept that I was kind of always in the background and I kind of used, but I didn't really understand the relationship. And so this was the first time I was able to actually research this relationship I had with sound that came all the way from when I was a baby.
And fortunately, you know, that point, that's when I met Val. And Val is the, the go-to business guy, the, the entrepreneur of entrepreneurs of UC Riverside. If there was ever a person who knew how to do something with something, it was Val. I, you know, we've worked together on a couple other projects. They're all, they're all super amazing. Is there something here? And, and he asked me to put it together really quick on a, on a chair and, uh, and we, we turned it on and I didn't know what to expect. I was like, you know, here's, here's basically how I hear. And he was just like, his eye, you can see his eyes like pop out of his head and he was like, bro, <laughs> he was like, this is something. And I was like, uh, okay, can we get the grant? <laughs> and, uh, I was just expecting like two months or something to get a grant and, and, but Val had this vision that, that it could be applied to all these other different areas and. And there, I guess the rest is now, you know, modern history. Amazing. Um, that's quite a journey. Um, so tell us along with that, how exactly does this work? How have you translated what you were hearing and how you were experiencing it into what now is available to different experiences for different people that hear music normally? Yeah, that's a good, that's a, that's a great question because yeah, when, when you say, uh, how do you feel sound? That is not normally a concept that people are familiar with. Um, they're like, well, I mean, you know, I've, I've been to a club, I've felt sound. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like that. But what if you could control that, you know, sensation? And what if you could make it in a way that would be almost equivalent to how audio engineers hear sound in their studio, right? Make it reliable, make it information that you could use. Like that's the crazy part of it. And that's where, that's where, you know, coming from the audio engineering field and then coming from this field where I, I knew how to take advantage of, of vibrations, right? All sound is vibration. So if you can control vibration, you can kind of turn it back into sound or you can, can turn it into this other vibration that goes directly to the body. Something that we've always talked about is like the difference between Wi-Fi and ethernet, right? You can connect to the Wi-Fi and have internet and walk around your house and you'll have it, but your computer's having a hard time making sure it's getting all the information to the device. Uh, it's going through the air, it's going through the walls, uh, you're losing packets, so there's a lot of things in place that, that allow to uh, resend packets and resend information, so make sure that by the time it gets to the computer and it shows it to you, that you have all the right information in place. But ethernet doesn't have that issue, it goes directly to your computer. And that's kind of the same kind of concept. There's vibration that's coming from a source. Like say you're listening to a song. There's vibrations that happen that go to the speaker. The speaker translates them into air. Air goes to your ears. Your your ear interprets the air vibrations as information and then sends it to your brain. What if you don't have to send it through the air and you can go directly to the body? Your body does also receive some information from the air. The air does hit your body and then and then your body does interpret that as sort of like the body of the sound or the low frequencies of the the, the girth almost, you know, the, the depth of the sound. And so there, that's still information that's present. And so there is a possibility to be able to deliver that directly to the body with much less energy. Then you still get either the same result or way more, which is insane. Very interesting. So this is what you're referring to as embodied audio, right? This is the concept of how you can be completely in the experience of hearing. Exactly. Yeah, we, exactly. We, yeah, we decided to call it embodied audio in the essence of embodied audio and definition is around multimodality. So that, that's something that um, Ethan introduced me to and I've been obsessed with and, and Ethan uh, has been researching all, all this time is that when you're combining multiple senses, right? So you're combining the aspect of feeling sound and also hearing sound in full range, that's what really creates embodied audio because your body is now fully recognizing what it's good at. There are certain frequencies that your body's better recognizing through feeling, but then there's other frequencies that it's better to recognize through your ears. But the idea of embodied audio is letting your body be fully engulfed into that and let it recognize the information 
Not that it's now getting projected at you and you have to try to understand it, but let your body naturally recognize the information to feel completely engulfed into whatever experience you want to have. Yeah. It's like providing like a, a neutral, a neutral source, right? And then your body will dictate what your body can, can receive. Your body receives mostly audible. Cool. You'll have a great low end experience and then you'll receive the rest of it through your ears. If you might have a little bit of an issue with uh, hearing or something like that, and you're, and you're not able to hear some of those uh, frequencies, then you're going to have a much better uh, information grab from your body because you're, you're naturally kind of used to that type of information. If a car passes by you on the street, you're more likely to grab it from your body than you are with your ears. Um, even somebody who's just different, you know, different body compositions will be able to receive different vibrations different from, um, you know, somebody else. So it's kind of cool of, of a way to say like, hey, it'll naturally give you everything. And then um, the amount that you receive will be the natural way that you already receive sound. Very interesting. So when you do this, and I know we were kind of talking about you, you experience what you're used to, but it also extends the range of what you can hear, right? Mm -hmm. Where the lower and the higher frequencies sometimes expand. How mm -hmm. does that change how we relate to music? through this or even just if we're not using the embodied audio experience? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, so I, I guess two, two things before jumping into the actual music, the actual just uh, sound itself. So uh, our body uh, was thought, and here's here's kind of like where all my research has, been, has kind of led me to understand. The original thought is that the body can only receive like low frequency vibration, like 80 to 100 hertz. And th that's like the bottom of the kick drum when you walk into a club and you feel like, <laughs> that that's what people thought it is because that's the easiest thing to kind of perceive right but then you know then there's other companies that are out there that say no no no, we, we can we can go up to about 200 right sub pack and woozer and these these people have, have leveraged that and said yeah these are low frequency tactile things it's kind of like the highest frequency that can be reproduced by a moving weight well is about 200 hertz and then that's where a lot of research has kind of said yeah you know right about 200 is about where the point where it's usable and then anything over than that is you know it's it's too much vibrational energy and it doesn't transfer well uh, but then there's a lot of research that has now come out from other people who are hard of hearing and saying hey no i can detect speech and speech is usually around 500 to a thousand hertz uh, the 1000 hertz tone is like that sine wave tone that you hear anytime anyone's testing something like a, like that. That's about a thousand hertz or something like that. It's probably not, but you know what I mean. If um, anything, that kind of like a noisy piercing kind of thing that people test with, that's about a thousand or so. Uh, you know, people can feel that. And we're working with a, a professor from USC, uh, Dr. Ray Goldsworthy, and he has a whole uh, hearing lab that they're actually testing to see how far people can detect uh, vibrations through their fingertips as a way to be able to compensate for people who have cochlear implants who have completely punctured the cochlear and have no, no other way of hearing other than the cochlear implant or some other method. Right. Because once you go through that implant method, it punctures the only way that you can be able to perceive uh, sound. So that's that's one step. Now, how does that translate to music? That's the coolest thing ever, because music is a lot less exacting. Right. It's you know it's very forgiving. There's all sorts of complex harmonics. There's layers on top of layers on top of layers. Um, uh, and you know, that's a lot of information to be congregating all in on kind of one thing. Um, the fact that now that that if you use our device to feel like the entire frequency spectrum means that when you feel like a like a cello, cello has a fundamental frequency that's a low frequency. Cool, you know, other things exist there. You can feel that, but if you felt that, or if you've been near a cellist or someone who plays a string instrument in real life, you know that you know there's that body, but there's also like this richness, this timbre, this this engulfing harmonics that come out of it. That that 
the instrument makers, you know, all the way back in, in, you know, thousands of years ago have figured out, Hey, if I make it out of wood, I can get extra harmonics and make it sound less, you know, boo. And then, you know, with the screeching of the, of the, of the, of the strings that you can actually make it sound more of like, you know, (laughs) and this, and these extra harmonics is the things that make it feel uh, like a person's talking to you instead of just, here's an instrument or here's a synthesizer. It's like this just rich embodied kind of like voice of the instrument. And these are things that, that are either projected through the air or, you know, the low frequencies projected through these kind of trend, these, this physical vibration, if you're standing close enough to it. But, but that's where the cool part about expanding the range is, is that now you get, you get that feeling back. You get it feel like you're standing right next to it. Cause not only do you get those low frequencies, but you get all the little tiny micro vibrations that would have otherwise hit your body in person. Now back on your person, if you can use something that can reproduce all those frequencies viscerally. And so then when you have like a rock song, uh, it's like the difference of standing outside listening to speakers from the thing versus like hi i'm on stage with like the red hot chili peppers and they're like slamming into my body and it feels awesome you know and it's like that viscerality that i think brings an element of live and it brings an element of like of life even to even pre-recorded music that was like hey this was meant to be on the radio or meant to be through speakers but boom you can now have it directly to your body and so all these nuances pop out at you that you weren't able to be uh detectable before and it's, it's interesting because it goes into the technicalities of recording and the technicalities of being live, right? Where when you do have something that's acoustic, it is very much like a surround sound. And mm. I think you're explaining it as being flat once it goes into the studio where you lose a lot of the overtones and the undertones. Yeah. Are there like specific technical differences like in nerd terms that you would say happens with the embodied audio? Um, what What happens technically with that recording? I love that. Uh, That's a dangerous question. Just just, just (laughs) throwing that out there. (laughs) I'll I'll be good. I promise. Um, So actually, this this is a crazy concept that Val and I were kind of like just kind of realizing like like a couple weeks ago where it's like, wait a minute, like no, the way the microphone exists, right? A microphone was designed to kind of emulate your ear, right? Your ear can detect pressure waves from the air and then it, it says, cool, I got it. And then it'll translate it as a digital signal. Cool, right? Uh, you know, even if it goes all the way down to 200 uh, to, to 20 Hertz or whatever, which is like the lower range of the human hearing, cool, then you can reproduce everything. However, someone blowing in your ear, 20 Hertz is different from 20 Hertz of like, uh, a truck hitting you. <laughs> um, there's a there's a difference of of like pressure and, and impact and the way that those waves happen. You know, like um, like naturally, wind is like 20 hertz. You know, and th- and that's a very different feeling than like a you know with a sorry anyone who's listening. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's that kind of kind of a difference. And so, um, kind of like the the nature of microphones can almost like never really reproduce. Um, the the physical aspect of it because it's literally trying to take a snapshot of a of a event right a, a yeah. picture of an event is not the same thing as experiencing the event in real life just same way as picking up a snapshot of a sound event is not the same as uh, even if you reproduce it you're reproducing it through the air and you know if I if I again let's take the train or the truck crashing into you um, as a way you record that on a microphone cool it's it's there's limits to the microphone if it has too much air pressure it'll distort if there's too much um, what's it called? Uh, too many complex harmonics in the same frequency range. It's not able to be able to move back and forth and be delicate at the same time. Just like your ear, your ear naturally uh, compresses and your ear naturally, um, you know, pre- prevents itself against distortion if it goes too loud and, you know, it, it starts moving less to protect your, your, your body from overstimulus. Um, same kind of deal. 
But when a truck hits you, uh, you don't feel that uh, sense of, of limit. Uh, you get hit by the truck. And right. so that's kind of the, the, the same, uh, I guess that's a metaphor that I'm using, which is we need a different way to be able to pick up an event so that way we can faithfully reproduce the event. And anytime there's a microphone involved, you automatically limit that secondary of, um, sense of feeling and of pressure um, that ordinarily happens with everyday sound events. Even us talking, there is a pressure component to talking. The car driving by, there's a there's a component of pressure. And then if you get hit, yeah, there's a certainly a component of pressure there. Right. Yep. Makes sense. Right. So the the tactics for engineering, the way that we're looking at how audio is even produced or mm -hmm. held and recorded, ends up changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that we don't have to change necessarily. We can try to like process the audible sound and then try almost like recreate a synthesized version of, of pressure but remember the uh, technologies to experience this aren't necessarily fully fledged on the market so there's going to be a bit of a crossover and a bit of change but there's ways to be able to compensate at the moment so let's dive into that a little bit how do you see this changing the industry what are some of the things you see evolving with the concept of embodied audio yeah i i think if, if people have a better way to receive information then creators artists engineers pro producers everyone who's creating the content is going to say like wow you know imagine if you had a canvas that you could reach every square inch of you know i can make something that's way different than if i could only kind of reach my arm's length around but if i can now reach every square inch of it you know, I could add so much more detail. I could add so much more nuance. I could add so much more, um, you know, uh, depth into that. I can have something that's really hard hitting and something super quiet. I could have something that would be otherwise impossible to play back on normal speakers. I could do, you know, noise <laughs> in a way that won't kind of kill the listener. You know, there's so many, there's so many flexibilities that you now have. You, you can do really high end, you know, really tiny things that would then come through the body and feel like, oh my God, someone's scratching me. And that's like an effect that you can't get with, uh, you know, speakers and stuff like that. Because, it, it, you know, feeling like it'll go through the body is, is different than having it come at you. Uh, so, you know, you get this kind of like, you get this intimacy with the listener that you wouldn't be able to get uh, otherwise. And so that, that I think will open up a whole new world of opportunities creatively for some creators. And I think the, the part that I've always been more more curious about because obviously Ethan's background for the, the music industry has always been looking at how do you make this the quality for audio engineers, especially those that mm -hmm. would really scrutinize and the quality has to be there. And that, that's very important to us because we understand that in the long game, that is important. But as for like the big markets, that's really where we're seeing uh, how can we redefine uh, fan engagement in sports, for example? I mean, sports have been around, uh, for example, Major League Baseball has been around for over a century. The game itself has evolved slightly, but the fan experience has not. And that's one thing that we found as kind of a unique spot that if you asked me and Ethan, when we started this company, that was probably the last thing on our mind that we're going to yep. be in a sports stadiums. Yeah. Because the, the cool part is that the, those sports stadiums are picking up, you know, they have mics at home plate, they have PA feeds, they have different ways to engage and stimulate the, the fans. Um, we can just plug right into that. And then now you have a direct source where you feel super connected um, to sporting events. You feel like you're in the batter's box in the baseball game. You can feel like you're on the court in a basketball game. You can feel like you're um, in the quarterback pocket in a football game. You can feel like you're in the octagon for a UFC fight. There's different ways that you can now feel like you're a part of the event versus that you're just a spectator of the event. And that's what we really want to see on that side of the coin. And then live events for concerts, making it that you have these visceral experiences. You don't have to be right up front on the stage. You can be anywhere and enjoy that concert and make that inclusive included for everybody. So it's not just that 
anybody that is you know has perfect hearing yeah. can enjoy a rock concert and also blow out their ears from that rock concert <laughs> where everybody can enjoy it no matter what if you have uh, some hearing damage you can still enjoy it through embodied audio mm. if you can hear well it's not blowing out your ears but you have this great experience and you once again kind of feel like you're on stage and then the long long game that's where the gaming market really comes into play and that's what I've been obsessed with day one ever since Ethan really showed us to me is that the idea of multimodality combining multiple senses, what that can do in virtual environments, what that can do in things in video games where right now there's a disconnect between the graphics increasing and the games getting more and more realistic, but they're not becoming more and more fun. And it's kind of interesting because if you look at uh, how we're so overstimulized now from like so many things that we can deal with, we actually don't have something that like really engulfs us into an experience that makes it feel hyper-realistic. Mm -hmm. VR, cool extent, AR is cool extent, but you need other modes of communication such as feeling and hearing and the other senses as well. That's ultimately what's going to allow these future concepts like the metaverse to actually become a reality. As of right now, it's still an idea. It's not in any roadmap of something that's actually going to become the real deal uh, until you can actually engulf all these senses together. Right. Right. And there is a lot of discussion about how the metaverse creates almost a disconnect instead of connecting in because you're missing so much mm. of the perception that you would get if you were actually feeling and hearing in a different way. Um, mm. How far can that actually go? I know that there's concerns with ethics. There's concerns with how embodied can we get in those other realities? So literally a couple of days ago, I think I figured out how to make holograms feel real. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> It, I'm it, a, little, that, a little concerned with our chats. He's just sending me stuff like, oh, I think I figured this out. I'm like, uh, one, that sounds expensive, but two, that also sounds like we don't want to play around with that until <laughs> further down the line. But yeah. Responsible yeah, the, holograms. Exactly. Re responsible real holograms. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember we talked about this earlier um, that, you know, Val and I were, the, the day I think I figured out was like, oh my God, we can make things actually seem really real. I came to Val. I was like, Val, I, I, we we gotta stop or something. I'm I'm. This is terrifying. Like, like, there's a potential that we actually could get people like locked. Like, you know, the whole Matrix thing. Like, people would not know if you know if this is if this is real or if it's not real. And you know, we have them locked in their chairs and be like, why would I get out? This is better reality. I was like, I was like, what do we do? Like, do we do we stop it? Do we do we intentionally nerf it? And he's like, no, no, no. But you know, as long as we're concerned about it, that's already winning the game because there's. If we don't do it, somebody else who's not gonna care is gonna do it. Um, you know, maybe not now, maybe not you know three, four, five years or whatever. But eventually, someone's gonna get to what we're doing and then not care if it's gonna impact people or not. Um, and and the fact that we care about it and the fact that we're considering it and making sure that everything we do, every time we get one step more real, one step hyper real, more one step into this thing where just and get you know it's it's like the, it's like a dopamine tickler basically, and so you know we're very cognizant that like this could definitely you know be kind of kind of you know something that people would really like and and could get really attached to, and and so we're very careful about making sure that we're educating people about it as we go along, and that we're uh, making sure that every alpha tester and every person who uses it, so we you know we let them know about the the potential issues or, or potentiality for you know staying in it for too long. Which I mean the good news is that uh, the research shows that you know staying in this level of vibration is is not going to be any um, issue um, and and you know all, I'm making sure I'm researching every possible side effect of this thing and, and I think other than like you know um, uh, some indigestion of uh, <clears throat> doing it right after you eat and just having you know playing nothing but bass music might you know give you a little tickle um, I think other than that there's no actual real uh, health harms into it which is great um, I'm so I'm so happy for that 
but um, at the same time, you know, make sure people's mental states are okay and that they remember just take, take a step away from it for a bit. Kind of like how the Wii, right? The Wii, everyone's trying to play tennis for like, you know, 10 hours straight. And it reminds you, hey, why don't you take a step outside? <laughs> and yeah. yeah, make sure we're doing that too. Yeah. And on the flip side of it, I mean, there's ways that you can implement this that are incredibly helpful to society, right? How do you see that evolving and assisting in different ways? Yeah, that that's one of the the biggest things that I mean that that really started some of the pursuit that me and Ethan have been working on is how do we make the world of sound inclusive? Uh, I, I think the idea of accessibility is powerful and strong, but I think inclusiveness is even more powerful because for me, it's I don't think there should be when you go to a a sporting event that you have to choose between like I have to be an accessibility section or I, I have a normal ticket. It should be that everybody can enjoy and be fully inclusive into that event or that source of whatever you want to enjoy uh, and, and have that best possible experience and curate that experience exactly to your taste. But the one thing that's been quite surprising as we've been furthering this technology is as we're showing it to uh, doctors, as we're showing it to researchers, they're looking at vibration in ways that we weren't really perceiving it uh, in ways that it has health benefits. For example, researching around sports medicine, researching around how can this affect things like Parkinson's disease? How can this have effect ties, ties to PTSD or anxiety? How can this has effect to um, a multitude of different layers? So not only is it that something that we can look at for the hard of hearing community, but what can we do for the autistic community? What can we do for those that are really struggling with mental health right now? What are those that are uh, trying to recover from, from sporting? But for us, the part that we're very careful about is we don't wanna make any assumptions and we wanna work with the leading researchers yeah. to validate. So what we're right now doing is anybody who is leading the charge in certain areas, we're getting them access to our technology completely for free so that they can help understand the research and work with us to understand every layer of where vibration can be used because vibration is used in manufacturing vibration can be used in agriculture vibration can be used Mm. in so many multitudes that us just creating a methodology of passing reliable vibration while that is great for entertainment that is not where it ends and that's the part that we're super excited about being able to work with so many different research institutions to understand all the potential capabilities of passing vibration and, and using that as a medium for whatever source somebody needs it for. Let me add it. Let me <laughs> add it. It's really quite amazing where it has so much potential to do so much and to help us to understand even our own reality in so many different ways. Mm. Yeah. Quite a phenomenal Absolutely. track that you're on. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just need more hands and more... Uh... We need, we need more hands in the kitchen because we have too many too many courses we're trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all come together. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Great. Well, Val and Ethan, thank you so much both for being on the Neo Edge today. If anybody wants to learn more about what you're up to, you can visit edgesoundresearch.com. And thank you from the Neo Edge. Thank Thanks, you so much guys. for having us. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. We'll catch you next time at the Neo Edge.